0: To me, this is is something that's special, and it's a burden on my heart as a a new pastor, newer pastor, just our next generation, my my next generation, your next generation, my kids, your kids, and I'm just, I feel a special burden in my heart for the next generation. And as I was kind of gathering notes and looking back really over some of the past dedication services that we've done and, and messages that we've done, I realized again that there were some things Uh, about raising kids and about having kids and being parents that are not in the Bible that I really, really wish were in the Bible. Like the Bible doesn't say that parents will always get to be there for their kids when they're needed. Doesn't say that, but I really wish that was a promise that was given in the Bible. It doesn't say that parents get to control their kids' choices as the kids get older. In fact, the Bible says that Kids are a little bit like arrows in a, in a quiver, and, and if you know anything about bows and arrows, or even if you don't know very much about bows and arrows, you know that you take that arrow out, and you string it up in the bow, and you guide it, and you aim it, and you pull it back and give it potential, but then there comes that moment when you let go, and you launch that thing into flight, and you let that arrow fly, and so all of our kids are, are kind of likened to this, that one day, we are all, as parents, going to let our children fly. They're going to leave. They're going to go. And, and my kids will live their own lives. And my kids will make their own decisions and make their own choices, right? Republican or Democrat. Ouch, right? Let's teach them to abstain from voting. Can I hear an amen? No, I'm just kidding. That's, don't neglect your civic duty. But I also, I'm really uh, disheartened about voting because I think it just encourages them. But, you know, my kids are going to be choosing between Coke or Pepsi, and we all know that the real choice is Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Root beer. One day, Caleb is going to choose who he marries. And JL will not. I will be choosing that for her. But, but, but I wish, I wish, I think one day when JL's 40, she can choose who she's going to marry. But I wish that God had done it differently. I wish that God had made it so that I could make every right decision for them, but I can't. And then when I get to thinking about even that concept, honestly, I'm not even sure I trust myself. Looking at my own track record, I'm not even sure that I would trust myself. And in looking through the Bible, I am left painfully aware aware of, of one huge glaring fact concerning parenting. The parents are limited in our influence and the time that we have to use it For our kids, our honor, our kids. And and God creates each of us, every single person, with this wonderful but this fearful capacity to choose our own destiny. And that power has been given to our kids as well. It's not something that we control. Every one of our kids will stand at multiple crossroads in life. And at every single one, our kids will ultimately have to make choices and decisions on their own that will greatly impact their future. And, and looking through the Bible, I, I wanted so badly to find some kind of, you know, some, some secret sauce, some magic formula to share with my kids, you know, or better yet, to be able to control life for my kids, to guarantee there were never going to be a, a hurt or a disappointment. I wish I could make life so that they never experienced the pain of regret, but I can't. You can't. And we can't as parents. And, and, and you know, it, it It just makes sense that we want this, right? We don't even want our kids to get hurt riding a bike anymore, right? Our kids want to ride a bike, and we put the helmet on them. And we put the knee pads, and then the elbow pads, and then the shin guards, and then the special shoes, and, and gloves. And then we tell them, go and ride, free spirit. And, like, they can't even get out to the bike. They're just so bound up by everything. We, we want to protect our kids. It is just natural. And so it's only natural that as they get older, we want to protect them from even more serious dangers and more serious pains like the pain of divorce. The pain of of addictions and 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 the pain of broken hearts, the the pain of broken dreams, and so man, we try and protect them as best we can. And when they're little, we buy the helmets and the elbow pads and and gloves and, and But when they're not little, we can't do anything but look back and realize all of the time and all of the opportunities that we missed, all of the time even that we're guilty of wasted wasting it at different times. And you know, there, there's something to the old philosophy in raising kids of toughen them, you know, toughening them up, letting them experience some scrapes and, and some bruises. And, you know, I, I think, yeah, maybe keep the helmet on. I mean, but, man, let them scrape up their knees a little bit. Let them get a little bit bloody. Maybe don't let them have BB gun fights like Jason and I used to do, but, you know, let them have dirt-clawed fights at least. You know, I, I can remember in our, that was really my dad's philosophy raising us, Jason, you remember the batting cages? Yes. Be tough, right, Dad? Be a man, right, Dad? That's right. Jason was riding a skateboard one day. Things slipped out from under him. He landed on his elbow. Couldn't hardly move it, and we had some friends come in, so Dad took us to Scandia. Dad's going to pay for Scandia. You're going to enjoy it. Jason's there with his arm hurting. Dad puts him in the batting cages, because that's what you do when a kid's arms hurt. You put him in the batting cages. Pitch comes at Jason, he kind of, uh, which is kind of how he swings always, but then his elbow was hurt too, but I can remember my dad telling him, swing that bat, Jason. I can't, dad, it hurts. Swing that bat, Jason. Come to find out a couple of weeks later, Jason's elbow was broken, but <laughs> <laughs> toughen up, kid. And we want this for our kids, and we want to protect them from physical hurts, but, but man, what's the spiritual equivalent of a bike helmet? right? Don't you wish you could find that? What's the life equivalent of of elbow pads? And you realize there isn't one, and there's no guarantee anywhere that our kids are going to get through life unscathed. The closest thing I can find in the Bible is is a command in the Old Testament that says to train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. But even that, there's no guarantee for the middle. It's when they're young and when they're old. But all the part in the middle is going to be left up to them. And it doesn't even say that it won't be a hurt that brings them back to what they learned when they were younger. And so we just really feel so helpless sometimes. And now I have two teenagers and I realize that my time of influence is running out on me. And I I feel so, you know, almost desperate. Just, God, why, why can't I control a few things for them? Why can't I make a few decisions for them and keep them from... Some things that I, I think is going to hurt them. And the answer to that really is all the way back in Genesis. And, and we see it from the very beginning of the Bible. And it's something that I've become a little bit passionate about. The story of, of why all of this crazy thing got, called life got put into motion. And the bottom line is, without taking too much time, is it, it all got made this way. And we all have the power to choose for ourselves because God is love. And because love can't be forced You have to choose who and what you're going to love. If you you try and force someone to love you, that's called kidnapping. That's not real love. And so love requires the freedom of choice. And we were created with the powerful potential of choice. And God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And before God breathed the breath of life into Adam, it's almost like you can hear God pulling that arrow back. And, And right before he does, just... Here goes everything. And God breathes into Adam the breath of life and he lets go. And humanity was set off on its course and it was let fly toward life eternal. And every single human since has been given the capacity to choose good or evil. And my kids will choose good or evil and your kids will choose good or evil. And then the people that our kids love will choose good or evil and whether or not to love in return. And for parents, it's a lot like the day or the days, the weeks that it took me to teach Jail to ride a bike, but there came that moment, there came that time, running along behind her, right, holding on to the back of the seat, and I think I realized it just a moment before she did, that my hand wasn't really there anymore, and she was off, she was on her own, and, and but there's no helmet in life, there's no elbow pad, there are no elbow pads in life, and the closest thing that I could find is what I want to share with parents this morning, but it's far From a guarantee. And really, this is something that I learned from my dad, but not something that he sat down and intentionally taught me. It's something that I kind of just noticed years down the road after I had already left home. And I'm hoping that if if we parents can feel the weight of what I want to talk about this morning, it's going to shape us and it's going to change the way that we prioritize our times with our kids. It's going to prioritize what we say to our kids and what we talk to them about. And I, I think I'd be over the moon this morning if it influences you as a parent in terms of how much time you spend with your kids. And it's this simple principle that a parent's voice becomes the gift of a young adult's conscience. A parent's voice becomes the gift of a young adult's conscience. At some point, your, your kids are gonna leave the home. At some point, your kids are gonna strike out on their own. At some point, they're gonna be faced with decisions and crossroads and, and choices, and you're not gonna be there in person. But they're going to hear your voice in their ears. They're going to hear your voice even in their hearts. And and within their hearts and minds will be the echo of your voice. And your voice and my voice will actually become our kids' conscience. And our voices will either haunt them or they'll help them navigate this crazy thing called life. But every single person has a conscience. Conscience. Every single one of us has that voice inside. And, you know, in the old time TV programs, it was the good angel on one shoulder, right? And the, the devil on the other shoulder, right? Hanging on with the pitchfork. And, and that's how we were created. God is a moral being and we were created in the image of God. And so we also wrestle with morality within ourselves. And we, it makes sense that we, we find ourselves making moral judgments. And, and we judge things outside of ourselves as being right or being wrong. And then our conscience will actually turn and and judge us. We will judge ourselves by the voice that has been instilled in us, by the voice that has been spoken into us, the values from those that have raised us. And our conscience is like a compass. And it kind of directs us on this path. And whenever we come to a fork in the road, our conscience becomes the compass whereby we calibrate our direction. And so parents... If we are going to be that voice, if we are going to be that compass, what a massive responsibility lies on us to make sure we know which way points north, to make sure that we know what words we should leave them from Jesus. If you are that compass voice, do you know where Jesus is? Do you know where Jesus is moving? Do you know, as the old bracelet said, you know, 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? Do you know what Jesus would do? Can you share that with your kids? Have you shared that with your kids? When they look to you for guidance, are you able to guide them? Or maybe we could ask this question, what are you doing to prepare yourself as a worthy guide for your kids? See, we're given the position of parent by simple human biology, (laughs) but we prepare ourselves for this role through our spirituality, and that's how we qualify ourselves to be the best, time, the best person for the job. And they're going to spend a lot of time in their early independence, either trying to drown out our voice with something else or asking themselves what we would do or what we would think. And so as a Christian parent, we have this responsibility, but on top of that, we have an, an extra layer of truth that kind of ties everything else together. And as you consider what you're going to teach your kids about finances, as you consider what you're going to teach your kids about integrity and and respect and compassion and empathy and responsibility and making good on their word in a Christian home, all of these things find their root in your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a person of faith, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. I believe that he is the life that came to life in human form and has shown us the way to live full and fulfilled lives. And I so believe that he is who I should follow that I freely choose to build my life on him and on his teachings and on everything that he gave to us. And it's at the end of, uh, of Jesus' most famous sermon. Jesus ends in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, with the saying, whoever hears these sayings and does them, It's like you're building your house, your life, on a rock, and you're not building on sand. That's the only way to stability. And if you're a parent of faith, you have to believe that. You have to embrace that. And you have to pass it on to your kids. But there's a catch. You don't get credit for just hearing what Jesus said. You only get credit for doing what Jesus said to do. So it's not about just coming to church and hearing. You have to live out in front of your children, you have to live out in front of your children what Jesus said for us to do. Can I get one more amen this morning? So your voice and your values, and my voice and my values, will ultimately influence the faith and the trust that our kids have in Jesus Christ. It's my voice. It's your voice. man. Anybody hate the sound of their own voice? We've done this, uh, this 21 days of, of prayer. Our leaders are recording themselves. And I had, without fail, every one of them that's talked to me about it says they hate the way their voice sounds in their recording. And I just I know what that's like. And uh, it's, it's hard to hear yourself. But your kids are going to be hearing you every single day of their young adult life. And so it's only, listen to me, Christian parents, it is only as we connect the dots from finances to Jesus, from integrity to Jesus, from compassion to Jesus, it's only as we begin to connect those dots that they're going to see the connectedness between their person and their faith, all right? Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that we are going to determine our kids' salvation. You can't do that. They get to choose on their own. Our role is simply to influence them. Our role is simply to point them to the truths that jesus left for us and, and our faith you know what the, the the truths that our faith in jesus tells us is best for their well-being and that brings us to a very important point if you don't believe that jesus's way is the best way to do life then you're at a slippery point already what do you do with that what does your faith in jesus tell you about jesus's ways what does your faith and your trust in Jesus tell you about what Jesus told you to pass on to your kids? Because if you do believe that what Jesus says is best, then you want what's best for your kids. And so as parent, Christian parents, it's so important for us to give them this godly influence. And, and so as I was studying this role of the voice and, and you know, this thing called conscience, I came across something significant in, in the writings of Paul in the New Testament. And he mentioned he, he wrote over half the New Testament, and he mentions conscience some 20 times in his different letters in the New Testament. But one thing he said about conscience stood out to me, and and that's what I wanted to share today. And Paul, understand, Paul never married, and Paul never had children of his own, which is a good thing if you're a Christian leader and you're not married. But Paul had some advice for some young people, and he had met actually a family in a city called Lystra, and the mother was Jewish and a believer, and the father was not Jewish, and from what we can tell, the father was not a believer. But they had this son, named Timothy, and Timothy had gained just an incredible reputation among the other believers. He was an incredible young man, and and Paul saw Timothy's love for the fellow believers, and and he kind of recruited Timothy for for servanthood, for for ministry within the church, and he passed on wisdom, and he passed on advice to Timothy, And, and seeing Timothy's excellent attitude, Paul actually instilled him or installed him as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, a city called Ephesus, and uh, tradition and history tells us that under Timothy, that church grew to somewhere around 80,000 members. Timothy became just a phenomenal pastor, and this was the church where the apostle John eventually retired and, and wrote his letters from, and even Mary, the mother of Jesus. It was said that John took her with him, to, and so she probably sat under Timothy as her pastor, but during the building years, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and and, and God, through history and archaeology, has preserved this letter for us, and I think it's so awesome that we can read the advice of Paul to a young pastor in the first century, and he says something so striking about conscience and the connection between conscience and faith that I wanted to share it with us this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words that were spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well the Lord's battles. In other words, you're like a son to me. I never had my own son, but knowing your reputation and seeing how you are, I wish that you could have been my son. If I did have a son, I would want him to be like you. And As a pastor, you're going to help the people in the church overcome evil in general, and you're going to help them overcome even the personal evil that would try and attack them so I want to give you some help for the fight I want to give you some help for your struggle and he goes on and he says in verse 19 cling to your faith everybody say cling cling to your faith and keep your conscience clear hold on tightly to your faith because we all know that there are things that come along in life that shake our faith at times don't they We all know that we face circumstances and difficulties and and questions and doubts that try and undermine our faith at various times. But Paul is telling Timothy, cling, hold on tight to your faith. Now here's the thing, parents, this then becomes job number one. If we want our kids to cling tightly to their faith, we have to put handles on their faith. You have to give them something to hold on to. You can't just bring them to church once a week, sit them on a pew, and expect them to magically one day believe in Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You have to make this portable. You have to teach this in your home. You have to teach this around the dinner table. You have to talk about your own testimony and what God has done in your life. You have to talk about how real he is, how alive he is, how much he lives with you and in you. And through you, don't expect our kids to cling to faith that we have not put handles on. We have to hand this off to them. And and so, you know, we've got to talk to them about, about why we need to belong to a church family. You need to explain to your kids why they need to pray. You need to teach your kids how to pray. If you don't teach them, who will? You need to teach your kids how to read the Bible. How about teaching them why they should read the Bible? And if we don't do it, who will? Turn around and ask somebody, if not you, then who? You've inherited this responsibility through biology. And I know this isn't flashy and, you know, this is kind of just nitty-gritty, right? But there's there's a lot of importance into what I'm talking about this morning. We have to discuss faith with our kids, which means we have to plan to discuss faith with our children. It will not happen by accident. Parents, how do you plan to introduce and build the faith of your children? What is your plan? What's your strategy? When are you going to talk about it? When are you going to sit down with them? What's your church attendance going to be like? What's your prayer life going to be like? What's the model? What songs do you listen to around your kids? What do you watch when your kids are around? What do you watch when your kids aren't around? Maybe I should ask that one first. Hello. Is this just, come on, this is practical living. Your kids are not going to grab onto a faith that you have not given them handles to hold onto. It starts with us. It starts with us. We have been given the privilege and the responsibility of birthing and raising the next generation of citizens and of Jesus followers. God, help us to not run away from that responsibility, but to embrace it, to realize with faith that, and with trust, what it does for us and how it improves our lives and how it has improved our hope and our future and our eternity. And God help me to communicate this to my kids. There is nothing, 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 nothing more important in life than your kids developing their own relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Period. End transmission. No other thing. That's it. I don't care if my kids work at gas stations or cleaning gas station bathrooms for the rest of their life. Don't because I need you for my retirement. But, you know, I I don't care what their career is. I want to know what do you know about Jesus? How involved are you with Jesus and with his church family? Caleb, what's the most important thing in life? Huh? Say it. Say it louder. Fall in love with Jesus. I have told my kids that from day one. I don't care who you marry. I'll even love, love ugly grandkids. I don't care. I just... <laughs> there's nothing more... Im- my grandparents did. <laughs> there is nothing... There is nothing, there is nothing more important than falling in love with Jesus. There is nothing more important than falling in love with Jesus not an education not a degree not a career not a house not a bmw i don't care about any of that stuff if it happens great use it for the glory of god but the most important thing in life is your relationship with jesus christ that is the source of sanity it's the source of wisdom it's the source of peace it's the source of hope it's But so many of us, too many of us Christian parents, just assume that their faith is going to happen. Magically, what's your plan for introducing, what's your plan for building your kids' relationship in Jesus? I I don't know, bring them to Sunday school. And we have abdicated our role. We have vacated the role that God intended for us, and we've tried to put Ivan in there. I like Ivan, he's a nice guy, but he's not going to do it for you. It's not your youth leader's job. It's not your Sunday school teacher's job. Parents, it is your job to put handles on your kids' faith. Come on. You didn't just assume that your kids would learn math someday. You planned for it. You researched school. Do you know schools had ratings? I did not know that. I suggested that our kids were going to go to some school, and Chelsea about bit my head off. Was like, they will not go to that school. Yes, ma'am. That's what you say, just yes, ma'am. But what are you doing to plan for your kids' faith? What are you doing to build their, ki- their faith intentionally? And, and church, you know how much I've been torn over this the last few years. There's, there's been this attack of so-called intellect and reason and this, this fake dispute between science and God as though you know, faith and science can't coexist. And, and I'm, just, I'm reading some of the studies and statistics on Christian teens who do not embrace a biblical worldview, and it blows my mind. And I can't blame the kids because it wasn't their job to grab onto something that wasn't passed to them. This is the responsibility of Christian parents, and we're just assuming that they are going to be okay. And we put them in institutions for almost 40 hours a week where they tell them that God doesn't exist. And then we have a hard time bringing them one hour a week to a church where we try and teach them about God. What do you think is going to happen? It has to happen in your home. It has to happen in your car. It has to happen around the dinner table. You have to put handles on your kids' faith. And listen, I want to put this in there, and this doesn't. This is a total break in logic. There was no easy segue into this, but listen to me. In your planning to discuss right and wrong with your kids, in your planning to discuss morality and sin and, and, and consequences and discipline, make it easy for your kids to confess their failures. Hear me. Make it easy for your kids to confess their failures. Give incentive to them for confession. Don't teach them to live a lie. Don't teach them to hide their guilt. Teach them about motives and heart and consequences and then make space for them to seek forgiveness. And when your kids confess and when your kids ask for forgiveness, celebrate restoration with them. When your kids come clean about what they have done, please, 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 Please reward them. Throw a party for them. Invite their friends over and order pizza. It's like five bucks a pizza now. Do something for your kids when they admit their faults. Celebrate restoration. Celebrate forgiveness with them. Make it easy for them to confess their failures. Because they're going to fail in life. They are going to fail in their Christian faith. They're going to have moments when they walk away from him and do things that they know that they should not do. And we want to teach them to seek restoration. We want to teach them to seek repentance and the presence of God and reconciliation with a holy God. And so it starts with the way we model it in our home life. Jesus talked about this. Jesus, when he talked about repentance... When he talked about people finally admitting that they were sinners, because that's what Jesus did. A lot of people today don't want to talk about sin. Jesus talked about sin all the time. The reason we don't want to talk about sin is because we think sin brings condemnation. But with Jesus, confessing your sin never brought condemnation. Confessing your sin brought restoration. That's why people were so comfortable admitting to Jesus, I am a sinner. I do have broken things in my past. I have messed up because he said, I know, but I forgive you and I love you and I accept you and embrace you and I want to give you the power to change. And so we as parents have to do the same things for our kids. Jesus said there are angels doing breakdancing and loop-de-loos in heaven when you repent it. So when your kid repents to you, do the worm, the sprinkler, something. Don't hurt yourself and do the running man. You probably can't pull that off at this advanced age in life. I know I'm being a little bit goofy this morning, but I'm so tore up about this. Make it easy for your kids to confess they're going to fail. Don't put such high hopes on them that when they fail, you are disappointed in them. Realize that we all are sinners. There's no room for pride in a family full of sinners. There's no room for, oh man, that's so good I'm going to say it twice. There's no room for pride in a family full of sinners. We are all sinners. What we all need to know is how to get past our sin and how to defeat our sin and how to live a life victorious over our sin. Being brought into peace with our heavenly Father, it's the greatest experience in life. I remember the day, the days, (laughs) days when I would come to God, knowing I had messed up, and still felt his love, and still felt his presence and his mercy. I wish I was preaching to somebody who had been forgiven this morning. I remember when I was baptized in Jesus' name. I remember how clean I felt when I came out of that water. I remember what it felt like when the Holy Spirit filled me for the very first time. There's nothing like it. It was the best day of my life, and I want to give that to my kids Mm. come on let's pause and just give god thanks come on for restoration come on give Him thanks this morning for forgiveness teach your sons and your daughters to keep their conscience clear to keep themselves clean on the inside That voice of conscience is a gift from God. Conscience is like the nerve endings in your fingers. When you touch a flame, there's something about it that makes your hand jerk back. That conscience is given to them as a gift from God. It is the nerve endings of the human soul. Conscience teaches us how to be human and how to live in harmony with other humans. Conscience is the gift that moves us toward reconciliation with God and with the people that we live with. So teach your kids to keep their conscience clean. To keep their conscience clean. So parents, be intentional about nurturing your kid's conscience. Talk about it as parents. Come up with your own parenting plan. Talk about discipline and consequences. Talk about disobedience and talk about what consequences could teach them to hide a guilty conscience. Then talk about what you can do to encourage confession and clean conscience. And Paul goes on and he's talking to Timothy. He says, cling to your faith and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. That conscience has been speaking to them Make it right, make it right, make it right. And they have shut that voice off. They have pressed mute, and they have learned to live with leaving it wrong. Paul, these old-timers, they were smart. They, weren't, they, they couldn't follow people on Facebook, so they'd study people in real life. What a concept, right? They knew what humanity was like. They knew what people were like. They knew a lot about the human condition. And Paul, writing to Timothy in another place in the New Testament, says that people who do this are past feeling. They become numb to some things that God never intended for them to be numb to. They've learned how to hit snooze or turn the volume down. People are content to live apart from God. People feel no need for restoration or forgiveness or no feeling of a need for God. And when their conscience is deliberately violated, Paul tells us that as a result, their faith, has been shipwrecked. Their faith has been shipwrecked, out of control and navigating rela- relationships, going too fast in shallow waters. They don't see what's ahead. They don't see everything that's just under the surface of relationships and marriage and, and all of these things. They don't understand the danger below the surface of selfishness. Selfishness is the anti-Jesus. And they don't see the dangers below the surface and selfishness. They only think about what they want in the moment, and their conscience has been silenced. They've learned to ignore the voices of parents. learned to ignore the voices of spiritual leaders, and so they wreck their faith in Jesus, and they make shipwreck of their lives. You've got to keep your conscience clear. And for Paul and for us Christian parents, understand that faith in Jesus is the central issue in life. It is the central issue in life. There is nothing more important, parents, than influencing your children to be believers in Jesus. If you believe that Jesus will make your life better and that Jesus will make you better at life, why wouldn't you want that for your kids? If you believe that Jesus is the source of a full and abundant life, if you believe His words that the the, the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy them, then there is nothing more important than influencing your children to faith and giving them a faith they can cling to. And that comes through your voice. That comes through your voice. We can't save them later, but we have a voice with them now. We can't save them later on, but we have influence with them for just a little while. And that's the way God intended it. This is the way God created it. That every single person has the freedom of choice and the ability to decide how they're going to navigate their own life. Each of us is the commander of our own vessel. And it's a freedom that even your little babies have. Melanie and Ramon. Mari, I can't see where anybody is. These lights are all on my face. Marty and Angel. Isaiah. and Maria. Your babies are so tiny. They're not so innocent now, right? It's amazing, man. Kids, kids learn to lie early, don't they? They learn to lie early. They learn to say no and stop and mine. Selfishness is, man, it's young in kids, isn't it? But this choice has been put into them from God. This choice is a freedom that every little baby has. They can abuse it and run into rocks and reefs, Or they can listen to your influence because you have planned on how you were going to influence them. They can cling to a faith that you have made portable and put handles on and given into their possession. Stories, your story, your testimony that you have passed on from generation to generation. And long after they have left the nest, they can choose to experience the amazing love of God. But that's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen because You and I have planned for it. They can choose the perfect expression of love. God in Christ come to reconcile us to himself. They can choose to embrace that, but only if you and I put the handles on it to make it happen. Can I hear an amen this morning? So God is giving us through these few wise words from Paul. Dustin, y'all can come on up, give them hope this morning. Through these few wise words from Paul, God has given us a key, really, as parents. He's given us a key or a priority of, of, for pastors, for youth leaders, for parents especially today, a sort of cause and effect with conscience and faith. And for parents today who love their kids and, and want to see them blessed, we have to learn. We have to understand. We have to plan. We have to make decisions for and talk this through as parents We have to decide how we're going to plan for it and train for it and and exercise it and show it and model it for our kids because a godly conscience is God's gift for guidance. A godly conscience is God's gift for guidance to your kids. They're going to leave someday. Control is an illusion. Did you hear me? Control is an illusion. Illusion. You can barely control them when you can fit them into a car seat. What are you going to do when, like Caleb, they're six foot four and you're six foot two? The only good news is that I still outweigh them by five pounds or so. You can't control them. Your parents couldn't control you. Uh-huh. That's Hello. Control is an illusion. All you have is a little bit of time. All you have is a little bit of voice. Use it. Use it. Use it. And when they leave your nest, your voice will be with them. Your voice can guide them. Your love will warm their hearts. What they have seen in your home will be what they want for their home. What they have seen in your marriage will be what they want in their marriage. The priorities that have brought peace to your life, the stability to your finances. Hello. All of this, your integrity in relationships and career and other things. And most importantly, your peace with your maker, your relationship with the Savior. It will all, all of these things will be what they want, what they cherish and what they look for themselves. But all you have is a voice. All you have is a voice. Can we all stand this morning? I, uh, I want to invite the families up this morning, and Ramon and, and Melanie and, and Zaya, if you can come on up and maybe be over here to my right if you would do that. Um, the Andrade family, if you'd come up, maybe be to my left. The Aguilera family, if you'd come up, maybe be in the middle. And, and I want the whole enchilada. So aunts, uncles, neighbors, you know, you brought whoever you brought today. Come on up. Come gather around the front this morning. This is a lot of folks. Uh, it you know what it's okay sis the Andrade family can be to my right it's it's it'll work out if uh, while they're here if, if Calvin and Bishop can come up maybe you can play or pray with this family here on the left the Aguilera family we got the De La Cruz family here in the middle and the Andrade family to my right if Bishop and Calvin can maybe pray for the Aguilera family um, if. Carl and James could maybe pray over here with the Andrade family, Jason, David, if y'all can come up and pray here with the De La Cruz family in just a moment. But while they're up here first, I want to make a challenge to this church family. City Grace, I challenge you to love these parents and these kids. City Grace, I challenge you to care for them, to welcome them into your homes. City Grace, I challenge you to support your youth group. Hello, support your kids ministry. City Grace, you better support the small groups that we have here at church because that's where you're going to interact with them and with these children. We are called to be disciple makers, and that begins in our homes and in sharing our homes. All the grandparents that are here today and aunts and uncles and cousins, I challenge you to love these babies. I challenge you to pray for these babies. God needs to hear you calling these babies' names in your prayers Pray for yourselves also that you would be a voice that would influence them to Jesus and to wisdom, that you would not be a voice that would distract or confuse them. I challenge the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents and the friends to support these parents in discipline and celebration. Now, grandparents, I know you want to spoil them all the time, right? That's your job. You have a little bit of that. But if there's ever a conflict between you and mom and dad, mom and dad win in front of the kids. Can I hear an amen? Support these parents in discipline. Fill these lives with so much love. Families, 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 fill these babies' lives with so much love and so much light that darkness cannot reach them. Surround them with your love and with your light. Parents, I challenge you to make your faith in Jesus Christ the most important thing in your lives. Teach them why they should love Jesus If you're not sure why, then I challenge you to equip yourself to be able to explain your faith. I challenge you to be able to explain why we pray and why we read the Bible. Put handles on your faith. Be an example to your children in love and in devotion. Be an example in prayer. Your children should not learn to pray at church. Your children learn to pray at home. And so if you're not sure how to pray that well, that's okay. Just tell me that you're learning so that you can teach them. Teach these children obedience and respect. Bring these children, these babies, often into the presence of God in worship. Let your kids clap in church. Let your kids sing in church. Let your kids get out and dance in church. Where's Melissa, you moved off the front row. I love watching those little girls dance over there. Put them back up there. You can stay there. Put your little girls back up there. That's all right. Do you see those kids running up here to get hankies? Quit sending your kids up here to get hankies. Let your kids come up here to dance and clap and do other stuff. Come get your own snot rags, chicken. (laughs) Teach your kids to love church. Teach your kids to love the, the family of believers. Teach your kids to depend on their youth leaders and on you and on their friends. There are going to be so many voices trying to influence them away from their faith in Jesus. Teach them to love the family of faith. Do it with all diligence. Show them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Be the voice that always points to Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. This morning we're going to pray for these babies and for these families. Church family, if you're not up front, would you just join us and maybe just stretch your hand toward them right now. Come on, let's pray together for these babies. Jesus, we pray.